Um, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do, turn to Psalm 100. Um, I've still got the eight pages for Romans chapter 11, so if y'all, if y'all really feel good, I can, I can call another, another audible and just, and just go to this, but I don't see a whole lot of excitement about that, so I'll, this, I just want to share something um, out of Psalm 100 this morning. I want to read through this, um, because I think this, this morning, this kind of hit me as this is an opportunity for us to find joy uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, we're all always to count these kinds of things joy. So I want to read this psalm, just make a few comments, and uh, maybe 15 minutes or so we'll be, we'll be dismissed. We'll sing a closing song and then I'll let you turn on the AC in your car. Psalm 100 says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for he is good. And his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. You know, sometimes it's more difficult than others to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, this threw me this morning. I'll just be quite honest with you. I, I got here this morning. On the way here this morning, I realized I had left my cell phone at home. Never done that. It's always with me. But on the way here, I realized that, oh, it's no big deal. But then I get here, and the thermostat reads 81 degrees, and it's set on 75, and I realize I have no way of getting in touch with anyone. And this is also the day that I chose to wear jeans, and it was also the day that I chose to wear a long sleeve shirt. I had to call my wife after somebody got here with a cell phone and ask if she would bring me a short sleeve shirt so that I wouldn't be sweating profusely up here. So this morning I was reminded of James chapter 1 where he says, count it all joy, brothers. Count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. He goes on to tell us why. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So this is a minor trial, but it's a trial, but it reminds us that the Lord sovereignly allows trials and sufferings in each of our lives. Things that we weren't expecting things that we weren't counting on, things that don't match up with what we were planning, right? And James reminds us that we're to consider those things joy. Not joy because we suffer or we're disappointed, but joy because, as he tells us, God's doing something in that. And he's allowing those trials. I don't know what that trial might be for you. 
Maybe he's got you in the middle of a trial or, or, or some source of suffering, something that you hadn't planned on. But God's got you in that for a reason. And he says the re- what, part of the reason is that he lo- allows those things so that they would produce something in us so that it would produce steadfastness and the, so that steadfastness would have its full effect. And, and, and I think it's interesting that James says, let steadfastness have its full effect. Don't interrupt that process through discouragement or disappointment, but allow that trial to have its full effect. And the full effect, he says that, is that we would be made perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The the reality is the the Lord sovereignly allows things into our life. And I know it's silly to call an AC going out a trial or a source of suffering, but it's a reminder that there are those kinds of things in our lives. But God allows them there because he's in the process of changing us to look more like Jesus. Jesus. Trials in the hands of our Lord are a source of sanctification. God is producing something in us. He is changing our very character. He is producing steadfastness. He is transforming us to look more like his son, Jesus Christ. And so whatever that is for you, maybe it's a health concern. Maybe it's somebody in your family that's dealing with something hard. Um, maybe there's something happening in your extended family that you don't understand. Maybe there's a source of trial through your workplace. Whatever it is, God is sovereign. If there's one thing that we've been learning as we've been walking through Romans is that God is a sovereign God. He is in control. Those things, not only do they not escape his attention, but they are determined by him. And I don't know exactly why he's allowing that trial or that source of suffering in your life, but he's using it. He's using it to teach you something. He's using it to conform you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So even this morning, in a small way, I consider this joy because God's teaching me. God's showing me how to trust him even in a situation that I don't understand why it's happening and I don't know how to react to it and I get here and and I'm having to run around and figure out how do I call the AC guy and how do I call the elders and the deacons when I don't even have a phone and what's going on while I'm trying to prepare to preach he's working on me one of the most encouraging verses of scripture to me is Philippians 1 6 where Paul says he who began a good work. And I love how he begins the verse. He says, and I am confident of this because sometimes we have to be confident of this because our confidence in God's sovereignty and allowing these things and what's he, what he's doing through them sometimes can wane in the midst of the trial. But Paul says, I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What does that say? It means that we're all works in progress. And this morning was a lesson to me that I am most assuredly still a work in progress. And so he's chipping away some of those unseemly parts of your pastor so that I can consider it all joy. 
because he's working on me, and I'm grateful for that. But this psalm is a reminder to us of our identity. It's a reminder to us of who we are. And most fundamentally, most foundationally, we are worshipers. We were created to worship the Lord. We were created to give him glory with our very lives. And we messed that up with our sin. Because of our sin and rebellion, not only do we deserve judgment, but we can't do that which we were created to do, which is to bring glory to our God, to worship him in spirit and in truth. We can't do that because our spirit is dead. But through the gospel, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, as he brings us to faith in him, not only are we saved from what we deserve, but we are restored to be worshipers. We are remade into that which we were created to do, which is to bring glory to our God, not just with our lips on Sunday morning, but with our lives 24-7. And this psalm reminds us of that part of our identity. He says we're to make a joyful noise to the Lord. And we joke about that, you know, because I'm, I'm not a good singer. I've told Bob, and that's part of why I sit in the front, so you don't have to hear me singing if I sit behind you. I make a joyful noise, not necessarily a good no- noise. And we joke about that, but that's what we were created to do, to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Listen, listen to all the ways in which he talks about our identity as worshipers in this psalm. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. We're to serve the Lord. How? With gladness. Because we consider it all joy, right? Serve the Lord with gladness. We're to come into his presence with singing. There's a glad heart that sings. It's a glad heart that's glad in Christ that can sing with a joyful noise. And this comes from the knowledge that the Lord, he is God. That he is the one who made us and we are his And the gospel tells us that he has remade us to be his. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Not just because of what he has done, but because of who he is. And he tells us who he is in verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. When our kids are growing up, we teach them to say thank you when somebody does something for them. And so we're ingrained to say thank you to God because of the things that he does for us and the ways in which he blesses us. And considering our brothers and sisters in Ghana, West Africa, or other places of the world, we have a lot to be thankful for in this part of the world. God has blessed us tremendously. But we're to praise our our God, not just because of what he does for us, not just because of the blessings that he puts in our lives, but because of who he is. He is sovereign, but he is good. Man, if, if either one of those lacked in any degree, it would be scary, right? If we worshiped a sovereign God who was always in control and yet was not good that'd be scary and if we worshiped a God who was good though he was not all-powerful and he was not sovereign and not always in control 
that likewise would elicit fear in us. But we know that our God is sovereign and in control, and he determines everything that happens. And yet, at the same time, he is to his very core good. He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. He always loves. It is part of his character. And that, that love is steadfast. It will never go away. It will never change. And his faithfulness to all generations. You know, the reason why um, things like trials or sources of suffering in our lives the re- reason why they should elicit joy from us is, is not just because God is using those trials to sanctify us and change us to look more like Jesus and transform us into his image, but also because through them we are reminded to our core that our greatest need has been met in Christ. Our greatest need is not air conditioning. Our greatest need is not even the things that we think are necessary for life, food, shelter, clothing. Our greatest need is for peace with God. And as I was reading through this, I was reminded from our study of Romans just a few months ago in Romans chapter 5, where he talks about that. And I wanted to close our time together this morning just, just reading the first few verses of Romans chapter 5 and, and, and the connection between these kinds of trials and sources of suffering that God allows into our life with the perspective that our greatest need has already been met in Christ. Listen to Paul's words. He says, Therefore, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. 
We remember from our study of Romans, Paul has just finished laying out for us the great doctrine of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. That we have no righteousness whatsoever of our own. And because of our lack of righteousness, not only are we separated from from God because of that, but we can't do anything to change that. We can't do anything to change that hopeless predicament. We can't earn righteousness through right living. We can't undo what we have done through our sin. We stand guilty before God with no hope of being declared righteous and justified in his presence. But, Paul said in Romans chapter 3, in the middle of the chapter, he says, but a righteousness from God has been made manifest the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. And so we can be justified, that is, declared righteous, simply by faith in Jesus Christ as our only hope. And this is the gospel. This is the the good news that undoes the bad news of our hopeless separation from him. And this gospel is the means by which we have peace with God. And so when we encounter sufferings, as he said, when we encounter these kinds of trials in life, not only can they elicit joy because we know that they're a reminder that God is working on our heart, he's he's in that process of transforming us into the likeness of Christ, he's changing us. We're works in progress and he hasn't given up on us, he's still working on us. But it's also a reminder to us That though we lack in this area, whatever that lack is, our greatest need has been met in Christ. Jesus Christ, God's very own son, was delivered to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, enfleshed as a human. And he was led to the cross. And he died on the cross. He was buried and he rose three days later, proving that he had paid the final and complete sacrifice for the sins of all those who would trust in him. And so those who place their faith in Jesus Christ as their only hope, they are transformed from sinners into saints, from enemies into children. This is why Paul says in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God has been revealed from faith to faith. We're reminded that our greatest need is not whatever it is that you're suffering from and whatever it is that you lack, though it may be a life-sustaining need. Our greatest need is that of peace with God, and God has purchased that through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that's not a promise that you can claim. And the bad news is still bad news, which is that you don't have peace with God. That you still stand under the righteous wrath of God against rebellion and sin. And if that's true of you this morning, then I beg of you to be reconciled to God by trusting in Jesus Christ, placing your faith in Christ alone, as your only hope to be reconciled. And if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, remember what we said earlier. 
that we look to the communion table not just for saving grace, but for sustaining grace. Our hope is in Christ, not just for salvation from what we deserve, but our hope for sanctification, for being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, persevering in our faith to the very end, ultimately to where he will glorify us in his very presence. Our hope for that each and every day is the gospel, is the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us and how he's working in us. Would you pray with me?